We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. If you have a Bible today, let's open up to 1 Chronicles chapter 23. I was going to sit down, but um, uh, my feet feel okay. I'm okay right now. But if I sit down later, you guys will be cool, right? You guys know how it works in the Bible, right? When the teacher sits, the students stand, right? Okay, just want you to know that up front, okay? (laughs) We have a really tough chapter. Uh, Actually, I don't know how far we're going to get in, in our study today, but... A lot of genealogies, and, uh, but woven into those genealogies, there's some beautiful lessons for us. You know, uh, I, I like my wife, and some of you guys are like this. She's a TCOB person. You guys know what that is? TCOB, take care of business. Yeah. <laughs> some of us aren't like that, and I'm learning, and I'm praying that one day I'll be like that. You know, David was about to die, and before he dies, he wants to take care of business. That's what happens. You know... Have you guys heard that saying, only one life, soon it will pass, only what's done for Christ will last. You want to make sure that before you die, that you do what God's called you to do on planet Earth, okay? And David does that. He's about 70 years old now. And look what it says in 1 Chronicles 23 and verse 1. So when David was old and full of days, he made his son Solomon king of Israel. He made him king of over Israel. You know, when you look at this right here, it's like no big deal, huh? He made him king over Israel. But you want to know something? This was a, like moving a mountain. This was a lot of drama, uh, making his son king over Israel. And, and what we see before David dies is he TCOBs, he takes care of business, and he makes sure that his son Solomon ends up becoming the king over Israel. Because if he didn't TCOB, if he didn't take care of business, if he was just passive and not active, then someone else would have been king over Israel. If you would, go over to uh, 1 Kings chapter 1. First Kings chapter 1. And look what it says in verse 5. Then Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. And his father had not rebuked him at any time by saying, why have you done so? He was also very good looking. His mother had borne him after Absalom. You see, Apparently, David was old, and for those of you guys who are familiar with the story, you remember that he was, uh, he was having a hard time even staying warm, uh, and so they had to get a, a young gal. She wasn't with him intimately, but she was like the sweeter heater. That's what I call my wife, you know. She kept him warm, right? And so anyways, uh, uh, David was there. He was dying, and uh, Adonijah goes over, it says in verse 5, and he exalts himself. He was a real good-looking guy. He was real good looking. He was the brother of Absalom, who we know was very good looking. He was the long hair, you know, uh, guy, very guapo. And, uh, and that as uh, a lot of times people, you know, they'll, they'll see that 
in whatever, whatever, they'll look at themselves and they'll think, well, you know, I should be king. Well, I should be top dog. And, and the thing is, is it wasn't the will of the Lord. And so David, however, wasn't doing anything about it. He was just kicking back, relaxing. He was passive. And what happened, though, was Nathan and Bathsheba and others who knew the prophecy of God that Solomon was supposed to king, be king, they got involved. And, and if you read the whole story, it's a lot of drama. But finally, David uh, kicked in. He put it into gear, and he started doing what he was supposed to do. I have to take care of this country. I have to take care of the responsibility and the authority that God's given to me. And before I die, I have to appoint the leader that the Lord has chosen. Not the leader the men have chosen, not the leader who's chosen himself. No, the leaders that the Lord has chosen. And, and wherever you are, and it could be a, a ministry, it could be you know, you're overseeing this section, or it could be so many things. When we went to Cambodia, I remember uh, there were certain things that, that, that we were called to do. And I had to make sure that I said, in this, in this function right here, so-and-so is going to lead. Because if I didn't say that, you want to know what happens? Then whoever the strongest person will rise up and they'll lead. And that's not always the will of the Lord. And so David, before he dies, he knows that Israel has to have the right king. He knows there's got to be Solomon. And what he ends up doing is he ends up, it says back in 1 Chronicles 23, that he made his son Solomon king over Israel. You know, what Adonijah did in exalting himself can be compared to what James and John did in Mark chapter 10, verse 35 through 45. Do you guys remember what happened? Um, James and John, they're fishermen. They're probably big, burly guys. And, and then they got their mom. And then they went to Jesus. And they said, hey, Jesus, can this one sit at your right hand or your left? And Jesus said, well, you guys don't even know what you're asking. You don't know what, you, what you're getting into. I mean, I'm going to die. All you, when you think of ministry and you think of positions in ministry, all you think of the glory of it. You know, you don't realize the sacrifices that are necessary in order to fulfill that ministry. But Jesus said, besides that, here's the thing. It's not my place to choose who goes to my right or my left. It's the Father's choice. See? And that's the way it works in, in ministry. Adonijah was exalting himself. This is later he was doing other things for himself. But what we find in looking at the scriptures is that you know, God help us to be a church. God help us to be a country. God help us to be a people who have leaders that are appointed by the Lord and not by men. It's very important to, to have that heart. And so what we find here in looking at this, 1 Chronicles 23, is we need to be so careful. You know, People might fight and they might think they have the right to be on the top. This is what Ananijah did. Initially, David didn't resist. He was actually going to let it slide. But eventually, through those who knew better, David rose up to do God's will to get involved, and he made his son Solomon king over Israel. And the key there, I think, is just we have to make sure that we let God choose. You know, before Chuck Smith died, a lot of people were wondering, well, who's going to be his successor? You know, and some might look to maybe a Greg Laurie or maybe a... 
uh, Don McClure, or I don't know, one of the guys, you know, John Corson. But, you know, the Lord gave Chuck wisdom. And what he did was he appointed a number of men, a number of men. And I like what Greg Laurie said. He said, Chuck Smith, he doesn't have a single successor. He has a group of men who are his successors. But he knew, he knew that before he died, he needed to appoint the leadership, you see. And that's what David does here. It's so cool to see that. And, and then next, look what we read in verse 2. It says, And he gathered together all the leaders of Israel with the priests and the Levites. Now the Levites were numbered from the age of 30 years and above, and the number of individual males was 38,000. Of these, 24,000 were to look after the work of the house of the Lord. 6,000 were officers and judges. 4,000 were gatekeepers, and 4,000 praised the Lord with musical instruments, which I made, said David. I like that. For giving praise. Isn't that beautiful? Also, David had separated them into divisions among the sons of Levi, Gershon, Kohath, and Ferrari. I'm sorry, Merari. Merari, that guy. Okay, do you guys know when First Chronicles was written? It was written by Ezra as they're coming back from captivity. And what he's doing is he's restoring temple worship. He's restoring the worship. And it's so cool. Ezra makes note of what David does in organizing the priests. That way, when they restore temple worship, that, man, it would be, it would be beautiful. And you know that the temple, in one sense, can be compared to a church. We all have different places in the body, and there has to be an element of organization. There has to be an element of structure. There has to be administration. We can't just let everybody do whatever they want to do. And so David here, he divides them into different groups, the three sons of Levi, you know, uh, Gershon, Merari, and all these guys. And then he even schedules them at different times of the year. And so it's just really an organizational thing. How many of you guys are organized? Just out of curiosity. Not many of you, huh? We're in trouble, Lord. <laughs> you know what I did the other day, you guys? I organized all my books in my office. I can't believe I did that. I just can't believe it. I've, they've been all messed up for about two years now. But now I know where all my word study books are. Now I know where all my biographies are. Now I know where all my C.H. Spurgeon books are. Now I know, you know, the different sections on marriage. And, you know, it took some time. But now, as I'm studying, I'm so grateful. It, you know, it takes time to get organized. But in the long run, it saves time. Huh. And especially for us as a church, if we're disorganized, if we're in chaos, if there's no structure here, if there's no uh, God-given vision, then we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna struggle. David here, he, he kind of set things in order. There were 38,000 total Levites. Uh, it says 24,000 to look after the work of the house of the Lord. There were 6,000 officers and judges, 4,000 gatekeepers, 4,000 uh, praise the Lord. They were musicians, right? And, uh, and then in verses 7 through 11, and we'll get into these more as we go through, Verses 7 through 11, they have the descendants of Gershon, right? And you guys can read that if you want to later, but not right now, okay? 
And then in verses 12 through 20, we have the descendants of Kohath. And I will mention this. Look at verse 12. The sons of Kohath, Amram, Ishar, Hebron, and Uziel, four in all. The sons of Abram, Aaron, and Moses. And Aaron, notice, was set apart. He and his sons forever, that he should sanctify the most holy things, to burn incense before the Lord, to minister to him, and to give the blessing in his name forever. You know, Ezra's writing this. Ezra's a priest. Ezra's restoring temple worship. Ezra's saying this is what David did, and what he's doing is he's highlighting certain things that they needed to know as they're coming back from, you know, from Persia, and they're going to worship the Lord again. And he says, remember Aaron. He was the one that was set apart as the high priest. And, and when you look at the priests, uh, it's interesting. In Exodus 28, that's when God chose Aaron, and that's when God set him apart. And through him, you guys know what the high priest was? He was like the guy that would go into the most holy place once a year, and he would offer the, the blood of the sacrifice on Yom Kippur. I mean, he had that amazing robe on and the breastplate where he carried the 12 tribes on his heart. He also carried the 12 tribes on his shoulders. Um, the high priest was, was a, so amazing, a picture of, of Jesus, right? And, and when you look at this right here, and you look at Aaron, here's the thing I'll tell you about Aaron, is he wasn't, he wasn't like a perfect guy. You know, you, you would think that if God's going to choose somebody to be the high priest, that he would like be sinless. But you want to know what Aaron did? Aaron was so bad, he messed up so bad, he allowed the people to, actually, I think he kind of even led the people. It was kind of a conjunction thing. And they got their gold earrings because Moses was gone for a while. And they got their gold earrings. They put all their gold together. They melted it and they fashioned it into a calf. And then they all bowed down before that calf. And they had, I had an idolatrous orgy. A sexual sin. It was spiritual adultery. It was crazy. Now, now, I'm not saying anything like that's okay to do, but I do pray that if you're here today and maybe you've blown it, that if you're here today and maybe you think that you've sinned too much or you're just way too bad, that God can't use you, man, I pray that you would know the grace of God and that if that's the calling on your life, to receive the forgiveness of Jesus Christ and to go forward, you know, Aaron here is just a, such a neat testimony of how the blood of Jesus washes away our sins. There might be a Billy Graham here. That would be so awesome. I know there are pastors here. I know there are missionaries here. I know there are teachers here. I know there are godly men here, godly women here, who have a calling on their life. And a lot of times the thing that gets in the way is because you just think you're not good enough. But you want to know what the Bible says? It says in 2 Timothy chapter 2 that we're supposed to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And so Aaron right here, look what he was supposed to do. He was set apart, and that means he was like this special place. Do you know that you're set apart? Do you know that God, that, that word, that sanctification word, means that he took you out of the world? And he set you apart for his special use. That's where, where Aaron was. 
that he should, notice the four things, sanctify the most holy things, there's one, to burn incense before the Lord, there's two, to minister to him, there's three, and to give the blessing in his name forever. And that's what Aaron was called to do, to sanctify the most holy things, and that would be the work in the tabernacle uh, and the most holy place, to burn incense. That's talking a lot about prayer. That was his calling in life, to minister to the Lord. A lot of people believe that what that is is just, you know, one of the beautiful things about being in the ministry, being a pastor, is that you, um, you're just serving him. And, and a lot of what we do is not so much, well, are you good enough? Or are you gifted enough? Is, is your heart right? Everything flows from where the condition of your heart is. And God will take even some message that maybe wasn't the best message. And God will save people. And God will build people up. And God will be glorified. Why? Because we minister to him. We serve him. It's a relationship to him. And that's why it's so important to make sure our heart's right. You know, I like the last thing he mentions right here, what, what Moses did, to give the blessing in his name forever. Watch, if you go over to Numbers chapter 6. I'll race you. No, you beat me. Isn't this beautiful, you guys? And I can hear Pastor Chuck singing it right now. The Lord bless. I can't do it, right? Look at verse 24. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. It says, So they shall put my name on the children of Israel and I will bless them. And I, and I just love that that blessing that they were to give to the people. I mean, verse 24, speaking over them. And I know that you might, some of you here today, you might think, well, that doesn't make a difference. It, it does, because that's God's high priest. That's Jesus speaking over your life. And there you are, and whatever you came on a Thursday night, or you came to that special feast, and there's the high priest, and he's speaking according to the will of God. And he says, the Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. And when you look at the face of Christ, you see a light. And there's illumination. Some people believe it's, it's a smile. That God would smile upon you. Lord, please. <laughs> and, and notice right there, be gracious to you that the Lord would lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. You see, and that blessing right there, man, is so cool. That's what the high priest would do for the people. And that's what Jesus has done for us. How many of you here tonight, I would venture to say, you need peace, right? You need peace in your hearts. You need God to do that work. I encourage you guys to have that understanding of the high priest and and as you continue to look at this chapter right here, verses uh, uh, 12 through 20, again, the descendants of Kohath. Verses 21 through 23, we have the descendants of Merari. And uh, verse 24 through 27, 
what we look at what it says right here. It says, these were the sons of Levi by their father's houses. The heads of the father's houses, as they were counted individually by the number of their names, who did the work for the service of the house of the Lord from the age of 20 years and above. For David said, the Lord God of Israel has given rest to his people that they may dwell in Jerusalem forever. And also to the Levites, they shall no longer carry the tabernacle of any of the articles for its service. For by the last words of David, the Levites were numbered from 20 years old and above. Because their duty was to help the sons of Aaron in the service of the house of the Lord, in the courts and in the chambers, and in the purifying of all holy things, and the work of the service of the house of God. And I'll pause there just for a second. Now, I was trying to think, Lord, how does this apply to us as a church? How does it work? And, and I don't know. I'm, I, don't, I'm, I like outlines, but I can't always do outlines. But I'll just share this with you, that it's important for us to have uh, leaders. And I'll say this secondly, it's important for us to have helpers. You need leaders ordained by God, but you also need helpers ordained by God. And you know, Aaron's a leader, but the Levites, they're kind of all helpers. You know, and you got people doing the sound ministry. You got people vacuuming, you know, the, the, the building. Uh, we need people to paint, maybe people to wash windows. We need people to go do visitations. We need people to pray. We're going to see that later. And together, when everybody gets that heart, then God, he does a, a wonderful work. And we're going to see later we need singers and, you know, we need, you know, treasurers and we need administrators. And what ends up happening is God raises up a church that brings glory to his name. Here, it's kind of cool how David, what he does is he actually changes the age. Okay, when Moses first gave the law, you had to be 30 years old to enter into that service of the tabernacle. Okay, so this is what they believe. And to me, it's kind of a good plan that you started training when you were 25 years old. And so for five years, you were training. And then from 30 to 50, you were serving in the tabernacle. And then at 50, here's the thing. It wasn't over for you, right? Because I know a lot of you are thinking, oh, man, I'm getting old. It's over for me. You know what those that were 50 and above did? They were the ones that trained the youngsters. And I tell you what, to me, I think that's a beautiful plan, you know, that we as older people, and I, I'm, do I qualify for that now? <laughs> Maybe. I think I definitely do. And I see some of these young guys, and the Lord says, you got to pour into them, right? And then they're the next generation. And what David did is he lowered it to 20 years old. Now you're thinking, oh, what's he thinking, right? 20 years old is too young, don't you guys think? <laughs> some of you are going like this, and some of you are going like this. Now, of course, it depends on the individual. I was reading a commentary by John Corson, and, you know, it was cool that one of the things about the Calvary Chapel movement is there were a lot of young people. There were a lot of young people that served the Lord. And John Corson was talking about how when, 
when they all started, all of a sudden they started seeing all these young people coming in, and to him, this made perfect sense. You know, and I look at our church, and I think, you know, um, we kind of have a pretty good balance. I'm, I'm blessed. You know, I don't know if you guys ever noticed, but a lot of times these, all these people up here doing worship are, are young. And I, I'll say Jane's young too, okay? Don't say anything. <laughs> she's young now. And you know, isn't that cool? It's beautiful. 20 years old. Let's get them while the enemy's trying to get them, right? What are most 20-year-olds doing? They're out there, huh? I like what David said. Hey, let's start them early. Let's get them involved. Let's give them responsibility. Let's have them start serving the Lord. And, and it's so cool. What ends up happening is, you know, God was doing a new work. In verse 25, the Lord God of Israel had given rest to his people that they were now going to dwell in Jerusalem forever. And the Levites, they wouldn't have to carry the tabernacle or the articles uh, all over the place. I wonder, there's, there's a handful of you here that started with us from the very beginning. Okay, when we first started the church, we met at a house. It was on Thursday nights. The first study, there were five people. And I thought, well, maybe I shouldn't go back next week. But then the next study, the Lord brought more people. And then um, God started a Sunday service. But when we first met, we used to have to meet in the park. Do any of you guys remember that? And we used to have to take everything. We used to carry everything to the park. And they would set up all the chairs, and they would set up the sound system, and they would set up the children's ministry. They had to do that every single week. And then finally, God gave us a place right here where we didn't have to do that anymore, you know? And I believe that we're not really that place that God wants us to be. If I could share this with you, and I don't know, it's all in God's hands, but I, my prayer is that before I die, before I die, if the Lord tarries, that he will give us a building that we could be planted in Almani. That's my prayer, but of course it's in his hands. But that's what happened with them. You know, God gave them that place, Ornan's threshing floor in Jerusalem. They owned it, and then they were going to build, right? And that's what he's talking about right here. And, and look at the, the helpers and the way that they're, they're doing all these things. Um, look at verse 29 both with the showbread and the fine flour for the grain offering, with the unleavened cakes, what is baked in the pan, with what is mixed, and with all kinds of measures and sizes. What's he talking about there? He's talking about baking the showbread. He's talking about the, the showbread that was there every week in the presence of the Lord, symbolizing both Jesus and Israel. And so this is what I'm saying, okay? Because every once in a while, some of you here, you bake for the Lord, huh? Did any of you ever bake for the Lord? Some of you do. Our last marriage uh, uh, ministry was cool. One of the sisters, she baked these cookies, and they were so delicious, man. And, and, and believe it or not, even something as small as that, we're talking about helpers here, is, is a huge ministry. Now, of course, what they were baking... Uh, was much more, I guess you could say, uh, sanctified in the sense that it would be the showbread there in the holy place. But this is all I'm saying. That when you become a servant of the Lord, it doesn't matter what you do. You know, when I, when I started serving at the ministry, 
I mean, it, I did, we did everything. I learned how to do electrical, even though I can't do it fast. And I learned how to frame. I learned how to drywall. I learned how to clean. I learned how to scrub toilets. I learned how to vacuum. It's not like you ever come as a servant of the Lord and you say, well, that's not my job category. Then you don't have a servant's heart. I mean, these guys, they were baking. How many of you here would be baking? <laughs> You're like, I don't bake. Well, you do now. <laughs> They were baking, and then look what they were doing next in verse 30. They were praying. To stand every morning to thank and praise the Lord, and likewise at evening. Imagine that. Okay, this is your job, uh, bro. I want you to go over here, and I want you, God says, to pray. And remember... We don't always get on our knees. I think a lot of times people say, well, you got to get on your knees and you have to close your eyes. But it seems to me that uh, a lot of times the Jews would stand and they would just lift their eyes. And you got to do it in the morning. You know, you start off in the morning. Why? Because you're going to go out into your day and you're going to face temptation. You're going to go out into the day and you're going to do battle with the devil. And as people are sleeping, you wake up early before they do and you're already covering them in prayer. And you wake up in the morning, you get out of bed, and you start praying for the people. You start praying. And then, you know, you go through your day, and I know Daniel would always pray three times a day. Maybe you pray at noon, but we know for sure the priests, they would also, they would also pray and offer that little sacrifice at, at night as well. How many of you guys do that? You know, and that, to me, it's just a really cool thing. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I, I've always been able to pray in the morning. I've always been able to get up and just, man, start my day that way. But it's the nighttime where I struggle. And I think it's because I just get tired. And I start sitting on that chair right there. Next thing you know, I'm doing the shimas, right? <laughs> and God is like, before you... Get that tired manny before you start doing the shimas. Go and read your Bible and pray. This is what they were doing. You've got your leaders and, and then you've got your, your helpers. And they just, man, all these things they did. And in every presentation, it says in verse 31, of a burnt offering to the Lord on the Sabbath, on the new moons, and on the set feasts by number according to the ordinance governing them, regularly before the Lord and that they should attend to the needs of the tabernacle of meeting, the needs of the holy place and the needs of the sons of Aaron, their brethren in the work of the house of the Lord. And so just man servants, just helpers, just whatever you need me to do, you know, I'll do. There's a little dilapidation over there. I'll, I'll take care of it. That's what we need, you know. The, the next chapter deals with the priests themselves, uh, with the sons of Aaron. And again, there's organization involved. Uh, there's a schedule. Look at verse 1. Now, these are the divisions of the sons of Aaron. The sons of Aaron were Nadab, Abihu, Eliezer, and Ithamar. And Nadab and Abihu died before their father and had no children. Therefore, Eleazar and Ithamar ministered as and I'll just pause there for a second. You know, as Ezra's writing this, he doesn't really have to mention Nadab and Abihu. But he does. 
And, and more than likely, he knows that people are going to go back to Leviticus chapter 10 and read about Nadab and Abihu. And you guys know their story? Let me just share with you real quick. Uh, Nadab and Abihu were given the instructions on how to burn incense in the tabernacle of the Lord. But this is what happened. They got drunk. They went into the house of the Lord. And because of their drunkenness, they did not do things according to the law of the Lord. They did what they wanted to do. They offered profane fire. And the Bible says that God killed them. And what we find in the establishment of the covenant and even the establishment of the new covenant in Acts chapter 5 when God killed Ananias and Sapphira is that we have to know we're serving a holy God. And I think sometimes we forget, right? In the establishment of this covenant, there would be a provision for the forgiveness of sin. Praise God. But God still hates sin. He still hates sin. And so even in just reading through that, there's like that message, right? And then in verse 3, then David with Zadok of the sons of Eliezer and Ahimelech of the sons of Ithamar divided them according to the schedule of their service. And there were more leaders found of the sons of Eleazar than of the sons of Ithamar, and thus they were divided. And as you read the rest of the chapter right here, what you find is there were 24 teams, and they all had their schedule of when they were going to serve. Look at verse 19. This was the schedule of their service for coming into the house of the Lord according to their ordinance by the hand of Aaron their father, as the Lord God of Israel had committed, commanded him. And so you have 24 teams. And he said, this is going to be the teams. I'm going to choose Aaron. And this is when they're going to serve. And you want to know how they found out when they were going to serve? They, they cast lots. Now, we don't know exactly what the lots were. Our closest uh, comparison might be dice. Okay, you cast the dice. Find out when you're going to serve. And you're like, wait a minute. That doesn't make any sense, right? What does Proverbs 16.33 say? It says, a lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. So when you play Yahtzee, guess what? <laughs> God determines who's going to win, right? <laughs> no, what it is in a nutshell, this is what it's saying. You guys, this is what it's saying. God is saying, I'm the one who chooses who's going to serve and when they're going to serve. And, and, and I think that's so important for us to have in our hearts. You know, I encourage you, go forward and be knocking on doors and be like Isaiah who says, here am I, send me. Let that always be our hearts. But never get frustrated because maybe you think God's taking too long. Because in, in, in a roundabout sense, he's always using you. He's already using you. But one day, you watch. God's going to open more doors for you. And it's going to be beautiful. But you've got to make sure that you don't go ahead of the Lord or you don't fall behind of the Lord. Remember Moses, what happened was he, uh, he stepped out in the flesh and he killed an Egyptian, right? And that Egyptian, Moses, what he did was, hey, you know, uh, I'm going to deliver Israel. 
But it wasn't time, huh? He had to wait another 40 years before he could do that. And so may God help us to know that he will be the one to choose where we serve and when we serve. And we see these priests right here. It's just so cool to see the schedule that they had. And, and more than likely in looking at this, when you see 24 teams, uh, what you're going to find is that they're on a 360-day Jewish calendar, serving for a couple of weeks at a time, and then they would have a day where they would overlap with each other. And then he goes on and describes more of the descendants of Levi. Look again at verse 31 of this chapter. These also cast lots, just as their brothers, the sons of Aaron, did, in the presence of King David, Zadok, Ahimelech, and the heads of the fathers' houses of the priests and Levites, the chief fathers did just as their younger brethren. In other words, the older guys, the younger guys, there was no partiality. They cast lots, and God was the one who determined where and when uh, they would serve. And then we get in chapter 25. Uh, look what it says. It says, Moreover, David and the captains of the army separated for the service some of the sons of Asaph, of He-Man. This guy really is a He-Man. You're going to see... Later, he's got 17, okay, check this out, listen for a second, 17 children, all involved in the music ministry. Really, really cool. But this guy, He-Man, and um, Jedutham, who should prophesy with harps, stringed instruments, and cymbals, and the number of the skilled men performing their service was, and he gets into the sons of Asaph, Zakur, Joseph, Nethaniah, Asherah, the sons of Asaph were under the direction of Asaph, who prophesied according to the order of the king. And then you have Jeduthan in verse 3. It says right there, halfway down, six under the direction of their father, Jeduthan, who prophesied with the harp to give thanks and praise to the Lord. And then you have in verse 5, all these were the sons of Heman, the king seer in the words of God to exalt his horn. Why? For God gave Heman 14 sons and three daughters. All these were under the direction of their father for the music in the house of the Lord with cymbals and stringed instruments and harps for the service of the house of God. Asaph, Jeduthan, and Heman were under the authority of the king. And so the number of them with their brethren who were instructed in the songs of the Lord, all who were skillful, was 288. And they cast lots, there it is again, for their duty, the small as well as the great, the teacher with the student. And I, and I know it's, it's, for me, it's a hard chapters to go through, to be honest with you. But hopefully we, we get something out of this. And I think... That when David appointed Solomon as the king, I think there's a, letter, a lesson there for us as a church, how important the right leaders are. So we learn, first of all, about the importance of a leader. I think secondly, in looking at the Levites, we have the importance of a helper. And I think thirdly now, in looking at the musicians, in one sense, we see the importance of the singer. And, and you guys know that, huh? Those of you who come to Calvary Chapel, I mean, you know that. We spend the first half an hour singing. 
and praising God. You know, one thing that's interesting, later on in Chronicles, he's going to talk about the military. But before he even gets to the military, he talks about the temple and he talks about the worshipers because it's really in them that you get the victory. We have to have that in our heart, that priority. As a matter of fact, it's interesting in the book of Numbers, when they were defeated, guess who they numbered first? The military. And it's not by might, it's not by power, it's by my spirit, says the Lord. And this time of singing and this ministry of worship, it is so important. There's a lot of really cool things we see in this chapter right here. Um, remember, if you go back to chapter 23, remember what, what David said? He had 4,000 who praised the Lord with musical instruments, which I made, <laughs> said David, for what? For giving praise. And, that, and so that, that piano right there, what's it for? It's for, it's for giving praise. That guitar right there, it's cool, huh? You guys like the colors? It's for giving praise. Those drums over there, guess what they're for? They're for giving praise. That iPod you have, with all that music you listen to, guess what it's for? Guess what music is for? It's to praise the Lord, right? That's what it's for. David says, that's why I made it. This is so important. This ministry is so important. And every church uh, could probably learn. I, I know I could learn a lot of things right here. You know, one thing is, I will say this. You'll go to some churches and they'll tell you you can't use instruments. Uh, they're cults. Don't go there, okay? The Church of Christ, the L.A., they tell you you can't use instruments. It has to do a cappella. Now, I like a cappella. Don't get me wrong. But the Bible says we can use instruments, right? So that's one thing we pull out of this. Another thing in looking at this, look at verse 7 of this chapter. You know, notice right here it says, uh, so the number of them with their brethren who were instructed. I think it's important for musicians to be instructed, for you to learn and cultivate your, we're going to see it later, your skill to be taught. So this is where they were. This is what they were doing. You know, they were there with instruments. They were there being instructed. And then we read in verse 1, look at the end right there with harps, stringed instruments, and cymbals, and the number of the skilled men. So you can't just get anybody up here singing, right? It's got to be people who, you know, can sing in that way, right? And they can play in that. There's got to be an element of skill involved, right? If you look at verse 8, he talks about teachers. So may God give us the wisdom to cultivate the music ministry in that way because in the end what we find is that this is not just praise, although that's part of it. Uh, this, is also, this is also prophecy. It says that a few times. Again, verse 1, that they would prophesy with harps and stringed instruments. Look at verse 2. Asaph who prophesies according to the order of the king. We see the same thing in verse 3 and other places. And I, I wanted to, to get one of these songs right here. Let me see if I can steal one of these from, from Angel. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mix it all up for you, Angel, right? <laughs> oh, man. I was, I was listening to the songs that they were singing today, and I was like, wow, Lord, this is so beautiful. 
just uh, the, the theology. And I don't know if you guys ever like really, truly pay attention. Um, but man, I mean, it's just so beautiful when you look at these things. And I can't find it right now, the one that I was thinking about. But this is what I want to ask you. That as we're worshiping, that you are not thinking about other things. That you're listening to the words. And you're praising God and you're letting angel and whoever is singing, they're prophesying. They're speaking forth God's word. This is a ministry. That's what music ministry does. It's amazing the power of music ministry. When Saul was tormented, the Bible says that he called for a musician. David played for him and the distressing spirit went away. When Elisha was wanting to hear from the Lord and he couldn't, he said, bring me a musician. And then the Bible says in 1 Kings 3 that the hand of the Lord came upon him. And then the word of the Lord came to him. That's how important it is to worship the Lord. The Bible says that God is enthroned in the praises of his people. And what the, I like the old King James, it says he inhabits the praises of his people. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but if you haven't, my heart goes out to you. That when you're praising the Lord and you're just singing to the Lord, because there's something about that, we're going to be doing that in heaven, that is just, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. That when you're praising the Lord, the Bible says he inhabits the praises of his people, and you're overwhelmed, you're blessed, you are touched by the presence of God. You see, and these are things I think that when we look at a church, we, we pray, God, do this work in us. We're not there yet, but Lord, bring us to this place where all these areas, whether it's a leader or a helper or a singer, would bring you glory and honor. I mean, the music ministry to me is just so beautiful. And what we find, and let me, let me just give you guys one more, one more verse and then we'll close in a couple of minutes. Colossians 3. And look what it says in verse 16. It says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. You know, and as the word of God comes in and, and then, you know, you're, you're singing and we're, we're praising God and these leaders up here are leading us in that, in that beautiful time of worship. What God does and what prophecy does is it exhorts, it edifies, and it comforts. It's according to 1 Corinthians 14. And then God does a really cool work in our life. And so, you guys, uh, tonight, I just really encourage you, man, pray along these things. Ask God, Lord, what area of my life, man, do I need to surrender to you? I know you died for me, and, I, and I, before I die, like David, you know, before I die, I want to TCOB. I want to take care of business. I want to do whatever it is that, that you've called me to do. Okay, let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much. Lord, for loving us, not in light of us, but in spite of us, Lord. Just thank you so much for, Lord, the, the word, Lord. And I, 
I know there's a lot of beautiful names there that we didn't read. They're people that are so important to you, even how you know us by name. But Lord, as we go through this section and just touch on different things, Lord, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, Lord, you would renew, you would rekindle things in our life. Father, help us to appoint leaders that are appointed by you. Lord, help us to be helpers, to do whatever it is that you've called us to do, whether it be baking or, or whether it be praying. And Lord, help us even to be singers, because I know that as the worship group comes forth, it's not a performance, Lord. It's not just them singing so that we could hear them. It's them singing so that we could join them. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.